Today's podcast is brought to you by Fish Window Cleaning, the largest professional window cleaning company in the country. With over 200 locally owned and operated franchises, you are sure to be able to find an office near you where they can help you brighten your world at work or at home. For professional window cleaning at residential or commercial properties, look up Fish Window Cleaning at fishwindowcleaning.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I'm Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we jig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. Woohoo. On today's episode, part six of Grave Peril. Grave Peril is book five. Mm-hmm. And we are looking at part six, which is going to be chapters 29 through 33, right? Four. 34, 30. I thought. Math is hard. <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. It's all good in the hood. 29 through 34. This is a very exciting chunk. I uh, changed Action. the phrase. Packed. Oh, yeah, it's great. I love it. I uh, changed the phrasing there, and I'm still, we're always a work in progress here at the po- podcast was on fire. <laughs> All suggestions are taken <laughs> yes. as positive feedback or negative feedback, as you know, suggestive feedback. Uh, I was calling it a spoiler-free run-through because we don't want to spoil past where we're at in the book. Mm-hmm. But we're obviously spoiling up to the part where we're at. So you can't just hop yes. in. That's why it's a read-along. It. Yeah, so I change it to read-along there. I like that. Shout out there to uh, Ska Girly on Reddit. Gave us feedback there that uh, it's not spoiler free, you bozos. She was actually much more kind than that. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you. Yes. It's spoiler free up to where we're you know, where For we're... me. It's a spoiler free for me because exactly. I've never, I am reading as we go. Joshi's read the entire series. I have not. So I agree. It's not spoiler free technically. It is a read along pod. So there you go. We are growing and progressing that in the. Uh... Human is very correct. Absolutely. Thanks, God, girlie. All right. So besides that, how you doing today, Ice? Good. It's my day off. It's a sunny day. Had a nice stroll through the hood. Oh, there you go. Nice. Mm-hmm. I uh, spent most of today asleep, <laughs> far away from the cares of the world, of which I had many and missed all of them. So I don't know if that's a bad day or a good day. <laughs> a little bit of both. Are your stressors stressors when they don't stress you because you're asleep? Hmm. I Either think way. sleep solves a lot of problems. It, it solves... Very many of them. Yeah. That's that's how I solve my migraine issues. I just go to sleep for a million hours. It's pretty great. I'm not uh-huh. gonna lie. Just, the, world, the world will be here when I wake up and Exactly. Twelve to thirty-six hours. I think me and Murphy slept for the exact same amount of time today, actually, as far as uh where we're at in the novel here. Mm-hmm. She's still knocked out. Uh, just you wanna catch us up here for where we're at? Let's see. So we are at the vampire ball. Our hero is dressed as a cheese ball vampire. The court's going to give us gifts. There's some shit going down. And Susan has turned up unexpectedly and has given a year's worth of her memory to Leah in order to save our hero Dresden from the bullshit that he's imposed on himself. (laughs) Yeah, he's broken faith with a mm-hmm. very powerful she-lady. And when you do that, there are consequences. And now she has some measure of power over him. Mm-hmm. And also his power 
is you know weakened not just because he's got some of it devoured by the nightmare, but also because he is you know risking his power every time he breaks faith you know in a verbal mm-hmm. contract here. So he's not make, doing himself any favors, that's for sure. No, he's really not. So this chapter starts off with one of those paragraphs. There's one in uh, Fool Moon that I, I, I think works out, works a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if this is Butcher trying to be like to kind of wax poetic and kind of stretch his literary muscles or, and I like this actually, this answer better, that it's Dresden trying to do that same thing in universe as he's telling the stories. And that, that makes a lot more, <laughs> more sense to me. It really like, does. No, I like that, that it's Dresden. I have a much easier time believing that Dresden gets too big for his britches than that uh, Mr. Butcher does. But um, <laughs> his first paragraph where he's trying to describe, you know, the different flavors and textures of fear. I don't, you know, it doesn't really work for me personally, but the point is Harry's afraid. And that is really what comes across. And it was necessary is that this is a terrifying situation to be in. They've already come at him once with the, the, Mm-hmm. vampire venom infected wine mm-hmm. or punch or whatever it is Susan's there she's been informed correctly that she is not there under the right of hospitality she is now an interloper lying to get in and she's a bit problematic she's not in a good spot right now exactly. no she's not we got some issues there and he, has, he goes through this whole thought process and kind of catches us up on all of that. He says that his fear and anger usually come together. And he's able to kind of use his anger usually to kind of mm-hmm. anchor him and give him the resolve and power he needs. And the anger's not really coming. Right now he's just fucking terrified, which I love. And as we progress, there's again, this is the vampire court in session, basically, where Bianca does her hostess duties. Mm-hmm. He's trying to put it all together and solve the case mm-hmm. in this moment. And we actually do get that a lot in the Dresden Files where it all kind of clunks into place. We've seen that, right? We're just in the moment, yeah. in the right moment, not necessarily the right moment for the plot. He's usually a step or two behind where he, it would be the best for him to solve it. But he figures it out, kind of, it all clunks together and he puts it together for us. He's trying to do that and he, he's almost there. Mm-hmm. But he just, you know, figures out all, all the movement here. He decides, he says, I hate when I don't figure out the mystery until it's too late. And Susan jabs him in the elbows and says, shut up, Dresden. You're making him look at us. Amen. He's trying to figure out what the point of them being in this moment is. He, he feels like, even though they decided to go to the party and you know, all the steps feel like they're in control, he's starting to realize that they've been as much a cast paw on this whole thing as the nightmare. They've been weaseled into this spot. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure why yet. And so he speculates mm-hmm. that she's taking a lesson from history. She yes. wants to do what, what Vlad Tepes did at his inauguration. Which, I mean, and that's a reasonable thing. And, and it's, I don't... I don't know who Vlad Tepes is. But the concept of destroying all your enemies in one place isn't something that's new. So I really like that it, he has that realization moment where he, he sees that and he understands that. And it's pretty cool because it does make sense with what he is dealing with, what he well, is seeing. It makes sense. Because she is a conniver. Is that a word? Sure. One who is conniving? I love new words. So Vlad the, <laughs> um, Tepesh is Vlad the Impaler. Or Vlad Dracula. Uh, 
not to be confused with Vlad Dracul. Uh, Dracul being his father. No, no. He's Dracul is the father. Dracula is the son. Um, but goodness me, is there Holy Spirit in there somewhere? They're not. They're not a trinity. Just the two of them. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The the white gods got one up on him, I guess. Um, Okay. But what he did was he invited all his enemies, political and personal, to a party, Mm -hmm. and then he had 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 a feast. Hey, come on, guys, let's get this going. We're all buddies again. I'm in charge, and we're gonna do this together. And then he, uh, oh, oh, phone call, phone call for Mister Dracula, and he goes and answers the phone, and they lock the door and burn the house down. I'm not sure if there's actually a phone call in there yet, but probably very similar. <laughs> so this is the second time they've referenced this family. He, although earlier in the novel, Harry, or this one has, would make more sense to be Butcher in this case, but Harry confuses the two. Where Rudolph says, what is this shit, Count Dracula? No, Dracul is still back in Europe, as far as we know. Dracul and Dracula are different entities in real life, uh, who they're... Oh. Kind of reference it based on, but certainly in this universe as well. Mm-hmm. Dracul's the father. Dracula is the son. Is the son. Um, and, you know, with presumably connections to the black court of vampires therein, based on what we know about them, yes. right? Which is reasonable. And so they have a really good exchange here as they try to figure out how they're going to get out of this mess. They realize they block the doors. And this conversation between Harry and Michael is very businesslike. It's very straightforward. It shows that they've been in spats before. They've been in tough spots mm-hmm. before. And they know how to... There's no humor. There's no joking in this moment. It's quick, concise battle plans in the moment. Figure it out. Where he says, we got to get out of here. They block the exits. I know. How many can you handle without the sword? If it was only a question of holding them off, it isn't. We may have to punch a hole through them. I'm not sure. Maybe two or three. And they look around and there's dozens of, of red court vampires in the courtyard. There's or the godmother, there's Mavra, there's a freaking fairy of Vax. There's all sorts of problem, problematic uh, situations. A few bits and bobs. Exactly. Um, and so they're trying to figure out, are they able to, to get out of here? And, you know, Michael says, let's head for that gate. Because and we'll never make it. You will. I think I can manage that much. Ixnay on that open stay and play. We need an idea that gets us all out alive. No, Harry. I'm supposed to stand between people and the harm beings like these offer. Whew. Even if it kills me. It's my job. And Harry says, you're supposed to have the sword to help. <laughs> and he, exactly. he obviously doesn't want Michael to die. He also obviously doesn't, no. doesn't want Charity coming after his ass after Michael dies. Because <laughs> Charity will. A hundred percent. Exactly. And basically, at this point, they can't leave or they will be showing disrespect to the, to the hostess, which means someone could, th- could mm-hmm. demand satisfaction and a duel. So they're, they're yep. kind of pretty fucked right now. And they're trying to... They don't want to throw the first punch because then they'll lose their protection. And Bianca knows mm-hmm. that. So she's going to do her best to make this happen. And she's on a mm-hmm. long, drawn-out, self-important speech when they're having all these conversations, which I love. And she ends up just, you know... Re- talking about how the red court is the furthest into the United States that any of the vampire courts have pushed. She's, you know, this is a very huge day for her kind. She's very important. Everyone should love her and give her things and give her power. Cause she's wonderful and spectacular. Mm-hmm. And she's the best and everyone loves Bianca and go Bianca. <laughs> and then she, she ends, ends up introducing her revered and special welcome guests. And she gives out gifts. 
guest gifts to these individuals. Praises. The first one is Pharovax, Mr. Pharaoh, the oldest and most powerful dragon there is. And she invites him up to the dais. And she gives him a nice bow. He gives the slightest nod. And she gives him a cask. And they open it. And there's just a bright light. And he says, a fine offering. Especially in this age of paupers. I thank you. I'd love to know what was in that one. <laughs> Very interesting. Kind of, does it remind you of anything? Me too. Uh, Goddamn, what is that movie? Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was exactly I'm like, Tarantino. <laughs> oh, I, I've yeah. Got, yeah, that's exactly what I thought as well. Um, 100%. Which, in, there's a theory that is probably not true, but that um, Marcellus Wallace is the, is the devil. Mm, and, that's, and that it's a soul that they're bringing him. That's the light. Really, it was just a well, I, cool I have heard that it is a soul. Yeah. Or maybe it's his soul. Or it's all, but not that he, but it's, but that's, yeah, but that's a soul. And that, the band-aid on the back of his neck is where the soul left or some shit. Oh, um, okay. Really, I mean, even Tarantino will say, no, it's just, it's a MacGuffin. It's just, that was the, that was the thing that they had to go get and mm-hmm. put lights inside a briefcase because that was a cool shot, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Very likely. There's more Tarantino than anything, but also, you know, deep in there that may have been, but just, it was just a cool, and I like, it, it absolutely made me, my mind go there and I'm glad it did yours too. Um, mm-hmm. Next up, she invites Thomas of House Wraith um, in the, uh, of the White Court. He asks... I love this. Fuck you. Yeah, every, every part of it's great. He asks Harry to stand with Justine, mm-hmm. which, A, is not all that uncommon in, in this situation, but it triggers Harry's... Considering. <laughs> well, it trig- I just mean, if you're here with a date at all, and you have meet someone kind of friendly, like, hey, like with these people if shit goes to hell you know what i mean like that's totally reasonable mm-hmm. even beyond any greater implications um but what it does to harry is it triggers his <laughs> girl in trouble shtick and so now he automatically adds her to his list of people he's gonna have to protect and then she mm-hmm. kind of connives the way into getting michael or sorry into getting thomas mm-hmm. on board with that protection as well by basically threatening to throw them under the bus and say that they're threatening to attack bianca if she, he doesn't agree to get thomas out as well mm-hmm. but i also love how he's he calls himself out in that moment mm-hmm. which it's one of the first times that he truly calls himself out because it, it, he is like motherfucker i always do this and i know that i do this and oh yeah i fucking done it again <laughs> and that is you know all of this we're, did it sorry that was my background yeah music. carry on yes Brittany. um Oops, I did it again. But, it, you know, in all of our yikesy moments, it's all about this misogynistic, but it's also about this, like, overly, overly aggressive taking care of women. And he calls himself out on it. So this is my, this was my moment where it's just like, it's at self-aware. Our moment of self-aware. And I appreciated it. I appreciated that it got included in this because we needed this. Absolutely. Um, it's just, it's a really good exchange in and of itself, mm-hmm. but there's also some deeper, um, there's a deeper lore question conversation um, mm-hmm. that I want to get into later on in the, in the pod about 
the way they're talking about this stuff. And it does matter a lot more later when the lines are kind of blurred as we get through this. But um, Thomas isn't a good guy, right? He's a white court vampire. And we know that he sustains himself. We're being lulled into a sense of security with Thomas in this moment. And it is later defiled. It is. It's definitely, yeah, kind of rocking the baby here. But it does lead to some interesting, bigger questions as we get through. Mm-hmm. You know, what does a bad guy make? You know, at this point, he's done nothing. You know, wh- at what point do you give someone the benefit of the doubt? And when do you not, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Thomas comes back down and he, he tells everyone that she gave him, uh, her gift, guest gift was a condo in Hawaii. A ticket there mm-hmm. on a late night flight tonight. A ticket. A ticket. And she suggested that I might want to leave Chicago. Poignantly. One ticket. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So Thomas finds out that they got they're all they're all together now. And mm-hmm. we go down and Teamwork makes the dream work. Uh Harry of the White Council of Wizards is the next guest mm-hmm. to come up and Bianca says, I looked forward forward to seeing you tonight. You are a very handsome man after all, but you look utterly ridiculous. <laughs> I love that she called him out. Oh, good. It's great. And she says, how do you plan on killing me? He says this quietly. It was just her. And she fell quiet for a moment and thought, do you remember Paula, Mr. Dresden? And as for a reminder, Paula was her assistant or one of her. I have a moment about this. Oh, go ahead. I... Paula is allegedly the young lady who she killed in front of Harry in, in Stormfront. Correct. She's later referred to as Rachel. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It bothered me because I was like, Paula doesn't sound familiar. And so I tracked it. I didn't go back to look in Stormfront as to what she was called in Stormfront, but her name wasn't Paula. It bothered me. So, yeah. yeah. I now want to go back and look at Stormfront, but I didn't because I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep moving along with this, but this is wrong. And then in these series of chapters, in this five-chapter arc, we get both names. And that bothered me. Yeah. Hang on. Let, actually, let me look that up. And look, you're not going to sit here with me and look it up in the. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, because I wrote chapter 29, Paula, question mark. And I believe it was chapter 31 where she's referred to as Rachel. Because now I feel like I need to open back up Stormfront. But yes. Well, I'm going to pretend we did our due diligence. Her name wasn't Paula. Was it Rachel? I think it might have been. Hold on. Let me open it up. It bothered me so much, though. Well, I, think I, that, that. I think that's just a mistake. Oh, it's 100% a mistake. Oh, where's this damn book? Here we go. Chapter 9. It's chapter 9 in that book? Correct. I thought Bianca was going to send Paula down with it. Oh, so Paula is the actual name. Yeah. It's not Rachel. Hmm. 
You sent Jennifer out to him that night. Okay, Jennifer was our dead girl. Rachel, go now. Rachel's coming. I'll send her down to the gate with a phone number in a while. Oh, wait, weird. Yours says Rachel? Rachel murmured something too soft to hear, gently brushing Bianca's hair back from her face. Rachel's pale, pretty skin. Wait, this is Rachel ridiculous. Oh, your says Paula? Yeah. Seriously? Oh, this is absolutely staying in the pod then. I thought we were going to look this up and get back. Yeah. Oh, I'm goddamn. Go, she told me. Go now. Paula's coming. I'll send her down to the gate with a phone number in a little while. Oh, yeah, no, it's Rachel. Rachel, I presumed. Rachel murmured something soft, smearing Rachel's wrist with shining saliva. Rachel, literally her name is said a million times in page 110. Rachel was gasping and moaning. Rachel toppled slowly to the floor, lapping up Rachel's blood. Yeah, I control F Paula. I have 14 Paulas. Oh, my God. Here, let me control F Rachel. That is fucking weird. Bless America. I can't type. 14 Rachels. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. So in your version of Stormfront, it's Paula. In my version of Stormfront, it's Rachel. And in. Oh God. In Great Peril, it's both. No wonder there's both. Very interesting. That is very, very strange. Um, oh my goodness. I wonder how things like this happen. That's a weird editing issue. But wow. Huh. Our little read along is learning things. That's really cool. Um, it is. I mean, it's certainly interesting at the very least. I, I, um, I think so. I'm reading like an online version, so I don't even know uh -huh. what, what version this is working off of. So I, Mm -hmm. uh, just like a website that has you know the full chapters out um mm -hmm. it's the easiest one for me to get through as i'm with my multiple um and mine's monitors. actually i have one on the top monitor the, and i take the, my notes the on the Kindle version yeah um so i wonder at what point was there a change but it clearly in your kindle version it says both also right uh, in the kindle version of stormfront it's all rachel in the kindle version of grave peril we get both names yeah that's what i mean crazy yeah that's insane i love that we've realized this in in the midst of in all real this. time yeah. I, I wrote a note about paula because literally i said chapter 29 paula question mark because the name didn't sound familiar and then i was like what was her name and as we continued i was like oh no it's fucking rachel oh that's funny it is really interesting all right we learned, we solved nothing there. <laughs> no, we didn't. But it's fascinating that our versions were different. I wonder so why. Thing. The podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault. It has some very interesting deep dives into names. The podcast was wrong on a name and it wasn't our fault. <laughs> uh, it wasn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> but I wonder why, like that's not a typo. It's not like it says... That's an editing change. But some, so somebody sent us an email saying that the first four books weren't released under a publisher. Well, no, so no, I wonder they, if they, there was. They were all released under a publisher, but, but as he was trying to get them published, they were all written before. I, I thought it was the first 
three. But I'm happy to defer. I like I said, I love learning. So if it was it was yeah. four then, but he wrote he wrote them again. We noticed this with between Stormfront oh, mm-hmm. between Stormfront and Grave um, Full Moon, where Stormfront is just way more polished. Like very clearly, yeah, he's gone over it a couple more times. And then Full mm-hmm. Moon, I, again, I don't think he had an expert editing group, you know, going mm-hmm. through it, and so. Probably, I would guess, before this one was, after Full Moon was written, and then this mm-hmm. one was written, I would guess is where, he, even if all four were written, when they got picked up, Grave Peril got a much better clean through. Clean through, for sure. Um, and then Summer Night, what's the next one? Summer Night? I don't know. Whatever. Um <laughs> As well, but I, he wrote a bunch of them before he got picked up, so he already had kind of a through line okay, that of makes story sense. that was developing. But it's an interesting thing that that is something that got missed. But it's not like Raquel to Rachel, right? Like it got corrected. No. Paula and Rachel are very different names. Very different, and it, it's interesting. I want, I would love to know the story of that. But then, because in that first novel, we have two different versions, obviously. But in this third novel. Both names are in there. The fact that both of ours have both names. Yeah, it's kind of cool though. Where does where does uh, she come up again? Actually, do you know? Do you have the um, I believe it's thirty one. Okay, because I actually want to check what yours says. Well, and that's the interesting part about digital uh, digital works is that they can be changed, they can be adjusted, and you don't necessarily get the most up-to-date version. And I don't know if my version... Well, I I don't know if my version is up-to-date or your version is up-to-date. And it's straight up, I think it's fascinating. It's really interesting to me. It's not 31. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's really... Mm-hmm. It's Honestly, I mean, that's, again, part of the... Uh, issue with digital media in general and the way media is distributed and is you never know if something's been edited you know we see this with deep fakes and stuff like that like the world we're moving into um a is going to be run completely by ai so we're going to have no more agency um just terrifying but the fact that you don't honestly even always know what's true and what's not i i can't find it in any of these what uh I just will cross on, let me see. the bridge when we come to it. What is she, how does she come up? Uh, let me let me search. Uh, I think it's. I don't remember how she came up. Rachel, I whispered. Rachel, is that you? It's chapter thirty-four. When she's a ghost, it's a ghost. It's going to be the last chapter. Actually, it's going to be chapter thirty-four because the ghost is is not Paula. It's Rachel. That's Crazy. what it is. Yeah, no, I just found it on my. I gotta like go through chapters and control F here on my version. I mean, your yeah. your version is the most, you know, obviously I would imagine the Kindle version is the- Yeah, it's the Kindle version. Is, it's a, exactly. I literally downloaded it from Amazon. What I'm saying is that they can edit that on the back end, you know, mm-hmm. and just auto up to it. That's crazy. But does it, it says Rachel in your version? It does. Okay. In chapter 34. Okay, great. All right, well, I'm gonna have to shorten this exchange, but this is actually staying in because it's mad, it's really interesting. It's interesting as all hell. Yeah, so Paula, Rachel, that's so weird. <laughs> Prachel. I want to get a printed version now and try to find if that's... I it. know. I was just thinking that. I was like, I wonder what it says in the actual physical book. Yeah. Although those, you know, those can change as well. So, 100%. So they go through it and she, you know, she blames him for the death. He says, I didn't kill it. And she's like, now I get to, you know, you did. And I get to return the mm-hmm. favor. 
And she says, in a way, I'm grateful to you, Dresden. If I hadn't wanted so very badly to kill you, I would have never amassed the power and contacts that I have. I would have never been elevated to the court. In a way, all of this is your doing. Which is just the best thing you can say to a dude with an overly self-blaming guilt complex. It is just such a good way to get Dresden in particular. A hundred percent. And I love this here where they say, that's a lie. I didn't make you rope Mavra into working for you. I didn't make you order her to torture those poor ghosts to stir up the never-never and bring Pravos' pet demon back across to send after those bunch of innocents while you tried to get to me. And I love this line here mm-hmm. because it shakes not only Dresden, but us as readers to the core here where she says, is that what you think what happened? Oh my, Mr. Dresden and Dresden Files readers. You have an unpleasant surprise waiting for you. <laughs> And we have to question what part of that is she talking about? Yes. And that was, that was one of the, I was like, as I'm listening to it, I was like, oh shit. Everything we think is happening is a lie. Well, sir, I mean, most of that is, I don't know what part of that could be a lie, right? He, he describes what, where we're at in the novel. You know, he, that was basically his, yeah. his recap as we get into this chapter. Well, maybe not a lie, but it's not accurate oh yeah no i exactly i agree with you and i have some thoughts on when we when that wool gets pulled from our eyes um because it's a really cool Mm -hmm. use of the kind of the red herring trope and it's a twist of yes twist up of the red herring though i also have a i don't i can't i didn't write down what chapter it was but there is a moment where i feel like our knowledge of how he is telling this story changes again. As far as like the, the timeline? Um, his, because we're like, oh, this is a contemporary, uh, contemporaneous explanation of the story. Well, I, I think we decided it's not that, right? In Full Moon. Well, we don't know if it is. And because in, in Full Moon, we didn't have that moment. And there's another moment in this Yeah, I think it's, novel pre- I think it's pretty clear now, to me at least, that this is, even at this point, this isn't me reading ahead, by mm-hmm. this point, I'm pretty sure that this is not contemporaneous. He is writing this down. He is giving, he's writing down the Dresden files after they've happened. Whether that's the, yeah. the day after, you know, every night before I go, he goes to bed, he writes in his journal. Yeah, I don't feel later. like, I don't feel like it's a journal. I feel like there's other, there's more going on. And I actually have a note about that. So. Okay. But, uh, but sorry, go on. No, but it's definitely not. A, in the moment. A lot of first person novels are we're riding along during the novel. Yes, and we are not doing that here, Correct. which we already we did already establish. Yeah, that. everything and that we have another moment of confirmation for that here. Yeah, everything that happened happened and he's reading mm-hmm. it back. And again, he is not necessarily he is a um a pretty reliable narrator, but he's he's going to make mistakes, right? He's not unreliable in that he's lying to us or tricking us, but mm-hmm. everything he sees, he believes in is what's happening. Uh we've touched on that before as well. Um but so he says, can we just get this over with? And she kind of needles him again. And then she says, for you, Mr. Dresden, with all my most fervent sincerities. Mm-hmm. The cloth stood away from a white marble tombstone. Inlaid in it is a gold pentacle. And there are block letters carved into it, which read, and I think might actually be the last line of Empty Night the last novel in the entire series. There's my crackpot theory of the week for you. But here lies Harry Dresden. 
he died doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Which is both wonderful. It's fantastic. And terrifying and spectacular. It's just so good. And it, mm-hmm. it, right. it comes with his own plot at Graceland. Um, near to dear little Inez. I, I don't really get that reference at this point. Um, I don't know who Inez is, so that conf- confused yeah, me. And I didn't look it up because it doesn't really matter to any of this. But it's such a good threat. <laughs> like mm, someone oh, yeah. It's a very clearly like, you're about to die, motherfucker. But mm-hmm. it is so good. And he says... It, it's really good. Oh, it's oh, just... And she is playing him like an absolute fiddle here throughout this entire oh, yes. scene. Really throughout this novel. But this this party in particular where she just revs him up, lets him down. You know, she gets him in these all these situations where it looks like it's going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. And she, as she said above, everything, anything worth doing is worth doing slowly. And yeah. she is just milking this out. And she knows exactly how it's going to end because there's only one way it could end. Because at the end of the day, Harry Dresden will die to do the right thing. And yes. all she needs to do is maneuver him into a situation where he has to do the right thing. And he, yeah. In this room, he's not, he's not going to win. No. And so it's he tells her to make her move, and she just giggles at him because, go away. You have no idea uh, what's going on here. And she gives him a little shoe <laughs> hand motion, which I love. And she you know, threatens Thomas and his little whore and the knight and your reporter friend. Mm-hmm. And she calls him Harry, and he is my friends call me Harry, not you. And she immediately flips switches over i love focusing on the honorifics again because you brought it up i love it it's really interesting i love it revenge is like sex mr dresden it's best when it comes on slow quiet until all seems inexorable Mm -hmm. you know what they say about revenge hope you got a second tombstone bianca for the other grave was that implying that she was going to have a grave too yeah when you have you know revenge kills you in the end i think is the point that's what I thought, but I wasn't 100% sure because she's a vampire. Yeah, but, I mean, vampires die. Yes, I suppose. But that was my, like, is that what they're saying there? But that makes sense. Okay. I was, yeah, that was one of my questions. Yeah, no, it's not as good of a reference as you'd want in that situation, you know? I, no. I mean, like, it's a dish served cold. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, it's sweet. They say a lot of things about revenge. They do. So, yeah, no, it's definitely, I get, you get his meaning through the context, but you don't know yes. what, what specific line he's trying to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this next gift is from and for the Lodanchi, a gift mm-hmm. of a uh, representative of Winter here. And she gets a, in a, a gift a small black mm-hmm. blade, I believe is how it's described here think the gift is revealed here it's a box we don't know what it is but we do context find out later in this novel but so she gives so she has the lanachi come up she gives her a gift and as leah is what we would describe as a fairy she can't just accept a gift without giving one in return mm-hmm. and luckily she just happened to pick something up off the bargain bin the other day and she hands over <laughs> a sword with a capital s amaracus and she hands that over, which tells us a couple things. One, that we're continuing to be confused by what's going on and we're about to get fucked. Two, yep. the gift that she received was certainly significant. 
of so they're value. Of, yeah, they're of equal value. She got something really fucking cool here, and we're I'm interested to find out more about that. Which <laughs> and the next step, Harry, it starts to clunk into place. The move, at least, not necessarily the overarching story where we're at, but the move happens next, where she says a worthy reply to my gift. Meaning, Amarakis is a worthy reply to her gift, so they're equal. Yeah, let Mavra one. of the black of the black court come forward, and her gift for Mavra is twofold. She gets Amarakis and Lydia. Mm. And she's going to use one of her gifts to open the other. And I don't mean Lydia's going to open the case with Amarakis in it. We're doing the <laughs> other thing. Yeah. And the sword is vulnerable. If the sword is used on innocence to take an innocent life, mm -hmm. it will be unmade. And that is one of the most powerful weapons for good in all the universe. And this is a bad news bears moment. It is certainly not it. And mm. there, what I think might become a really important line here, where Thomas kind of gives, gives us all the score, where he says, Dresden, don't be a fool. It's one life. One girl's mm -hmm. life and a sword balanced against all of us. But if you act now, you condemn us all. We've seen some version of this choice in every novel. And we mm -hmm. won't really see it go away. And not that Harry ever really think, you know, we talked about this in Stormfront. He decided he was a hero. That's who he was. It was a done deal. And every other time it's come up, he's just acknowledged that there's a choice, but he's never really thought about mm -hmm. it. I don't think. No, yeah. I agree. And so this is kind of the same thing where this isn't him coming up with it. Thomas is saying, look, there's a choice here. And Harry. There, there's there, no there choice for no Harry. Choice. There is no choice. And I, I can it, respect that. Absolutely. And we see here, oh, we see here, Susan figures out the score. She mm -hmm. says, Harry, with her voice shaking. Michael turns and looks at him, his expression grim, and says, Faith, Dresden. Yep. Not all is lost. Which makes me feel better. <laughs> Good old Michael always has a positive angle on everything. But it all looked pretty damned lost to me. But he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to lift a finger. To get out of here alive, all he had to do was nothing. All he had to do was watch while they murdered a girl who had come to him a few days ago for protection. Mm -hmm. All he had to do was let the monsters destroy one of the major bastions standing against them. All he had to do was let Michael go to his death, claim the protection of the laws of hospitality on Susan, and I could walk away. Michael nodded at me, then drew both knives and turned toward the dais. He closed his eyes. Mm -hmm. God forgive me. Oh, I did not know that line was there. Oh, I like that a lot. By like it, I mean hate it. <laughs> you'll you'll but, understand. You'll understand. Well, there's a couple of moments in, the, in these couple of paragraphs because Susan says, my God, what are they doing with that girl? And Harry oh. says, God, forgive me. Oh, no, I don't mean referencing God in general. Oh. Um, 
that's but those are those are things I noted where it's the you know Michael says have faith Susan says oh God he says God forgive me and it's just all of these moments of faith and God and I don't know if they're violating that faith or what but those are kind of things I noticed in this chapter yeah yeah I whenever Michael's around any any of these references certainly like they resonate more, right? Mm-hmm. Just because there is that we there's a real hum of power around him, right? Yeah, like very much so. Unden- undeniable. Um, that was more of a meta rec- rec- recognition by me oh. that I I promise you you'll understand what I'm talking about. I referenced one of the ways I tried to get my sister to re- get through these stories is one of the ways I got into it was using Spike James. There's a great, great actor. Um, mm-hmm. seems like a wonderful dude, brilliant person. And, um, I, again, Buffy's my favorite piece of media that's ever existed start to finish. And his greatest performance in his career is in this audiobook series. And I'm, obviously everyone knows the scene I'm talking about and it's just, but he's just so good in so many places that, but yeah, it's just all good. All of that is sort of, sort of spoilery, but not enough that... I, I, spoiler alert, James Marsters is really fucking good at his job, Lissy. <laughs> shock me, shock me. Spoiler alert, in over 17 novels, sometimes they pull on your heartstrings. You know, like, come on. None of that's a spoiler, but that is more for, you know, anyone who's read it before, noticing that those three words in, in a row is just really interesting out of his mouth, which I haven't picked up on until really, again, this deep dive here. But he grabbed Michael before he could start walking, and he drew the sword, and he ends up going, going up in front, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's not, if Michael's going to go, I'm going first. Yep. And Michael, Michael takes up position on his right, which again, just little things, but his right hand man there. I was thinking the right hand of God. Well, are you saying Harry's God? No, but it, it's that, it's that idea where it's that the right, Michael is the right hand of God. So Michael would be on the right. He's, he's more like the fist of God, I would oh. say, but he's certainly in this case, he's Harry's right hand. I mean, here's, he's Harry's. He's Harry's dog right here. He's his boy. And um, Thomas says, we're dead. But he falls in at his left. <laughs> I love that too, where Thomas is just, we're fucked. But all right, I'm in. And I, res- I, I respect that. We're going down fighting. Uh, Mavra hisses, lifts up Amarakis. I think over on the side, well out of the way. Leah lays her hand on Mr. Pharaoh's arm and like they're chatting. <laughs> Just like they're hanging out. It's like, da, 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 da. Yeah. we're gonna stay out of this one, dear. <laughs> Frowning faintly. Uh, we learned so much about that. So much mm-hmm. about Leah in this novel. Yeah. All it tells us is that we know nothing. On a lot of levels. And oh, it's great. Harry, what are we gonna do? Says Susan. And he says, Stay behind me, Susan. I guess I'm going to do the right thing. Best line in the novel. Absolutely. Honestly, I don't need the last line here before the chapter. I think you end the chapter there and it's perfect. But even if it kills me, I thought, and all of you too. That was implied. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) I guess I'm going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Again, just like the symbolism there of specifically Susan, get behind me. I'm going to take the hit here, but I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm going to stand in front of... My girl, my friend, my people, my city. My girl who doesn't remember um, me. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. It's because he's going to do the yeah. right thing. 
And that's the, that's it. How is that not? The, I mean, is it too cliched for it to be the last line in Empty Night? That's the only way is he realizes like this is too cliche because it's too good. And again, in my super crackpot theory combo mm -hmm. where Harry's the bad guy. So Harry's the mm -hmm. bad guy throughout the big apocalypse trilogy for the right reasons. But he ends up, he's going to fall on his sword, save the universe. And at the end, even though he was a bad guy, he's going to die doing the right thing. There you go. There's my crackpot nice. theory. Nice. Uh, and we are one chapter in of our six chapters and it's been an hour and a half. Nah, nah it's not been that. All right, so chapter 30, we learn a little bit about the, the fight. A fight ensues, and it's... Harry tells us that the, you know, the knowledge that we have of war in military science and history books, it's not accurate. It's very different. And so, you know, everybody's fighting. Thomas tells us that their bellies are weak because they don't have a lot of blood. Michael says he knows. And then we learn a little bit about how strong Michael truly is. Michael doesn't have Amaranthus right now. But Iseo Domine, Michael's voice rang out from beneath the vampires like a brass army bugle. And with a sudden explosion of pressure and unseen force, bodies flew back and up away from him. Flesh ripped and torn from them, hanging in ragged, bloodless strips like cloth, showing gleaming, oily black flesh beneath. Domine, Michael shouted, rising Gluing gutted vamps off him like a dog shakes off water. Lava quoed es sordium. Michael had parted the scarlet sea, as it were. Stunned vampires gathered themselves from the ground or slowed their attack, hovering several feet away and hissing. So Michael is so strong and so powerful that literally there's an explosion of vampires that are surrounding him. He doesn't even have the, quote, tool of his power. And, you know, at, there have been several points in the story that we've heard Michael say, maybe I'm not meant to be this. Maybe, you know, I lost the sword. But Michael has this power without the sword. That's kind of a fucking trip. And we've seen that, right? We saw it when... Um, poor, poor Kelly Hamilton tried to touch him. But but that um, could have been a, a a physical thing. You know, we've got, you know, we learned that things like uh, garlic and holy water and all that shit makes a difference. And it was just literally, it could have been iron or something in silver. You know. We saw the, yeah. rea we saw the reaction yeah. to it, right? Where Harry's but like, this is He's like a moment of explosion. It's pretty impressive. And then Mavra is trying to I also love the Latin battle cries. Yeah. Like, wash the unclean and domine, I think is like for the Lord or something. What's the Which makes sense. Wait, I don't know. I, don't I didn't know look up the um, Latin because Harry has said in the past that his Latin isn't accurate because uh, it's not the word, it's the intent. It's a, it's a bigger uh, plot point moving forward. So like all the white courts... Uh, yeah, Domine is, is Latin for okay. Lord. So he's yelling, for the Lord, like, wash the unclean and you'll destroy all the... It's just, they're, they're great in and of themselves, but also just thinking about this, like, he's like a 50-year-old man just going out there and, like, just tearing mm -hmm. through these monsters with two little knives. Yeah. He doesn't even have a fucking... Cord. He doesn't have but, the um, He doesn't have the powerful sword of God. And that's a but we big learned, deal. We, we learned next novel, I think it's next novel, that the 
white council does all their business mm -hmm. in Latin, which is reasonable. Because they're like, you know, an old organization, but Harry isn't good at Latin because it wouldn't be funny if he was. Um, so here, he says he learned Latin from a correspondence course. And so he's just really bad at Latin. But he also mentions that he doesn't take none of the stuff he says is in Latin that is accurate because it's not the words that matter. Well, no, that's that's his spell is spell yeah, cast. But I, I mean, I kind of appreciate that where it sort of makes sense where the Latin doesn't matter. But that's, I guess, that's yeah. just my. Well, a lot matters when you're communicating with other people in the war, in the language. It doesn't matter when he's talking about specific spell mm -hmm. casting words. You you can use like toilet bowl can be his wind spell. He does cup, lamp, anything. Yeah. Just, then every time you think of a lamp, it'll screw up that connection. Mm -hmm. You can't say it. it has to be a word you don't say. That's why he says weird quasi Latin mm -hmm. or actual Latin stuff. But, um, that's okay. Uh, so, and then, you know, we have Mavra, she is trying to wield Amaranthus, and Harry says, Ventefero, Amaranthus burst. Sorry, I know I say that word wrong. Amaranthus burst. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say it either. It's Amaranthus. I say Amaranthus. I, I say Amaranthus because I, I mean, you don't really skip letters like that in Latin, right? I don't know. Idea. Amaranthus burst into conflicting shades of blue and golden light as my power wrapped around it. A coruscation of sparks that made Mavra howl in surprise and pain. The vampire retreated, but kept her pale hands clenched on the blade. Suit yourself, Sparky, I muttered. I gritted my teeth as the cane smoked and shook in my hand. Vente, vente ferro, I whipped the cane in a wide arc, and with a hiss, the vampire found herself lifted clear of the ground by her grip on the sword and flung like a beach ball toward the courtyard below. She smacked into the stones of the courtyard, hard, brittle popping sounds, a gruesome accompaniment. The sword exploded in another cloud of vengeful argent sparks and went spinning away from Mavra, the blade flashing where it hit the ground. So Harry's got some power here. Uh, we look. So what's what's really cool though is this is a totally new type of magic. Did you catch that? This is a whole new school of magic. This is earth magic. Yeah, he mentions that later actually about how he's not very good at earth magic. Yeah, but he want he try you know he tries to keep his fingers in all the pies. Yeah. Um, but it's just cool because this is totally different than any of the other magic we've mm -hmm. seen as well. Very much so. Um, yeah. Here. Um, and you know, and, and then Michael approaches Mavra and he's got a dagger up reverse point down across extended toward Mavra. The vampire flung her hands at Michael and darkness spilled out of them like oil spattering toward the night. It sizzled and spat against him going up in puffs of steam and Michael came on forward through it. White fire gathering around the upheld cross. So Mavra is shooting shit from her hands. So again, we're learning different aspects of the, of these vampires and I think this is specifically Mavra. No, it's very likely. Yeah, she's a very old vampire, but she's also a vampire of the different court. And then we get Harry. He says, my eyes swept up the dais. I could see no sign of Bianca or her attendants in the shadows cast by the halogen brightness of Michael's blazing cross. I, I hurried to Lydia, sheathing my slender blade before scooping her up. 
longer. Uh, he, you know, he's amazed that they're that they're alive because Thomas says we can't last much longer, and Harry says longer. I'm amazed we're still alive. Goddamn miracle, we're still standing. Shut up, Thomas. Well, and Michael says light shines brightest in the deepest dark, and he's just is a little excited about there. And he says, "Let come the forces of night. We will stand. We will get the hell out of here. Is what we will do." Yes. Um, and then we've got Thomas, Susan, and Justine are holding off a ring of vampires. I, I mean, everybody's everybody's all in. Everybody's got something participating here. A vampire lurched, lurched toward Thomas while another reached out to grasp Susan. She thrust her cross in its face, but unlike with Mavra, the wood did not blaze to light. Faith magic isn't always easy to work, even on vampires. And the Red Court, creatures with a more solid hold on reality than the more magical denizens of the Black, were not so easily repelled. The vampire howled, mouth yawning open, foaming slaver spattering Susan's red hood. She twisted and fought, and with her other hand, swept up another baby food jar of holy water. Not at the vampire but at the spotlight beside them. God damn, Susan is a smart broad. She Oh, fucking clever. I mean, it just, it misted the holy water. Rather than just use the physical liquid, she made a mist. Absolutely wonderful. And then she pulls out her gun and starts shooting. And I just love that. And the vamp fell to the ground, and I remember thinking that she just killed the thing. Really and truly taken one of them out. A fierce pride shot through me, and I headed down the stairs. And then our streak of luck ended. And everybody's fucked. And Bianca holds on to Justine. And then Thomas makes a choice. Thomas chooses Justine over the rest of them. Um, I mean, we do have a great... If you look at, look at what he says in the moment. No, and I get he chose, it. He chose, he chose somebody over the rest of them. Yes. Um... He chooses himself. But anyway, so this is moment with Bianca where she says, surely you don't think me stupid as to be bluffed now, Dresden. You have already had a measure of your strength taken. What remains barely keeps you standing. If you could force your way out, you'd have done it already. Her eyes move to Michael and you, Sir Knight. You will die gloriously and take many of the hard creatures of the night with you. But you are outnumbered, and alone, and without the sword. You will die. Just a great creepy moment. Oh, I love it. And then Harry says, well then, I guess it's a good thing we brought help. Your whole court, Bianca, and you couldn't take us down. All of your little minions here have eternity laid out before them. Eternity is a bad thing to lose, and maybe you would get us eventually. But whatever one of you would like to lose eternity, first, please, go ahead and step on up. Harry's just being real ballsy here. Well, that's also something you don't think about a lot in this, in this, in this type of mm-hmm. moment, in this type of story. Like, the henchmen have a lot to lose. Yeah. They have their eternity. They truly do. And then Bianca says she talks about how she, she wants... Justine. She's wanted her since she's seen her. And then she's... Bianca is offering a trade to Thomas. Give them to us, Thomas Wraith. Give us these three and take the girl as your own. Uncontested. 
I will have as many little pets as I wish now. What is one over another? Thomas, I know we just met, but don't listen to her. She set you up to get killed already. And Thomas says, I know, Mr. Dresden, but I'm afraid the situation's changed. He didn't kick Susan so much as he planted a sandaled foot against her and shoved her into the crowd of vampires. She let out a short, startled scream, and then they took her and dragged her into the darkness. I'm sorry, Mr. Dresden. Harry, I do like you quite a bit, but I'm afraid that I like myself a whole lot more. Thomas faded back while the vampires crowded around the bottom of the stairs. Somewhere in the dark, Susan let out a short, terrified scream, and then it faded to a moan, and then silence. Bianca smiled sweetly at me over Justine's lolling head. And so, wizard, it ends. The power of you will die. But don't worry. No one will ever find the bodies. Kyle, Mavra, kill the white-bellied little bastard, too. So she's... Totally turned on Thomas. Thomas is dead. My mouth worked and twisted, but no words could come out. How could they? Words couldn't possibly contain the frustration, the rage, the fear that poured through me. They had one, one word explains it pretty well. Yeah, they had Starts Susan. The old capital F. Yeah. Fear, fear, and rage, and that was the thing. Where I was going to say Fuego. Oh, <laughs> Um, they had Susan and it was his fault. I don't know how the realization would make someone else feel. I don't know if the despair and the self-loathing and the helpless fury would crumble them like too brittle concrete or melt them like dirty lead or shatter them like cheap glass. I only know what it did to me. It set me on fire. Fire in my heart, in my thoughts, in my eyes, I burned. Burned down deep in my gut. Burned in places I didn't know I could hurt. I don't remember the spell or the words I said. But I remember reaching for that pain. I remember reaching for it and thinking that if we had to go, then so help me God. Weekend or not, hopeless or not, I was going to take these murdering, blood-sucking sons of bitches with me. I would show them that if they couldn't play lightly with the powers of creation of life itself. That it wasn't smart to cross a wizard of the White Council when someone has stolen his girlfriend. I think Michael must have sensed something because he had taken the girl from my arms. Because the next thing I remember is thrusting my hands toward the night sky and screaming, Fuego, Pyro Fuego, burn, you greasy bat-faced bastards. Burn. I reached for fire, and fire answered me. <laughs> so spectacular. But he's using, remember before, we, he used fury, he used rage, and he says, the fury in me grew. It swelled and burned, and I reached out to the fires again. Flames flew out, caught one of the more cowardly of the vampires, huddled at the back, scrabbling to slip his flesh mask back over his squashed bat face. The fire touched him and then twinned about him, searing and blackening his skin, then dragging him back, winding and rolling him towards the blaze. The magic danced in my eyes, my head, my chest, flying wild and out of control. I couldn't follow everything that happened, 
more vampires got too close to the flames and began screaming. Tendrils of fire rose up from the ground and began to slither over the courtyard like serpents. Everything exploded into motion, shadows flashing through the brightness, seeking escape. Screaming. Holy shit. Yup. Things are going down. And, you know, it, there's where there's fires, there's smoke. And Harry is suffering from smoke inhalation. And Michael is praying to the Lord. Lord, I know that Harry hasn't always done what you would have done. He staggered forward, carrying me and the girl. But he's a good man. He's fought against your foes. He deserves better than to die here, Lord. So if you could be kind enough to show me how to get us out of here, I'd really appreciate it. And then, abruptly, the smoke parted and sweet, untainted hair hit us in the face like a bucket of water. And holy shit, it's Leah. Leah saves the day. And she said, though it pains me in ways I could not explain, she saved him. She saved him and... I love the I love the bait and switch there where mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen Michael's faith magic oh, yeah. work in real time. It has worked it on multiple does, occasions. It, it does work. In this case, it's just coincidental that he asks for help. Yeah. Or maybe not, sure, whatever. But in this case, it's a side benefit of being the wizard with a fairy godmother that gets him out of this, you know? Yeah. It's just a funny turnabout there that you know, it, the smoke the you know, it's just really cool, funny little turn of that trope right there yeah well and it's just timing and it's like you know we're expecting that his faith magic is going to work and then holy shit it's leah how am i supposed to have you if i let this red court hussy kill you stars above (laughs) wizard i thought you had better sense than this you saved me so you could get me not like this leah said holding a silken cloth her nose delicately you're a husk and i want the whole fruit go rest child we will speak again soon so she saved them because she wants him. It's pretty freaking ridiculous. And then Michael dumps him in his truck and he says, Susan, go get Susan. He says, I'll go look for her. And he does. Everything went mercifully black. And it, it certainly is for the story, not just for Harry's consciousness. Um, as he wakes up, you know, he starts to feel the pain of the burn injuries. And then he starts to feel the pain of what he's done you know he, he there were a lot of human beings in that room at least a few minutes earlier and most of them were children and he went pretty explosive on the whole bit and the baby and bathwater alike got tossed into a uh, firing a fiery destructive force and not only is he struggling with the reality of potentially killing people the reality of susan you know losing susan to this you know what what does this case cost him michael's lost the sword michael's child is in trouble murphy's in danger susan is presumed dead bianca is more powerful than she started it's pretty bad so far and he's literally sobbing on the bathroom floor and Michael comes and basically helps get him back on his feet literally and physically and um, emotionally. And he tells Harry that he's gotten, the fire department has gone through. Mm -hmm. They found, they found 11 bodies. They don't know who they found. Only 11 is actually a very small number, but they're checking dental records. They're going to figure out, 
who died, who lived. And well, and from a strictly realistic perspective, identifying burnt bodies is very difficult. Oh yeah. I mean, it just is. Sorry, go um, on. <laughs> no, it's just it's it it's, you know it makes a lot of sense. It, it, that number is kind of small. Is how many dead, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. they um you know, they basically just go through and take inventory of where they're at. They see you know Murphy's still asleep. Charity's still doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Father Fort Hill's been with her and the baby. They still don't know what's wrong. They don't know why he's getting weaker. She's still stuck in bed, and she's not speaking to Michael because Michael chose to stay with Harry and protect him mm-hmm. instead of go to her, which mm-hmm. is, again, thinking about how important the family aspect is. Like, that's a huge sacrifice for Michael. Yeah. He chose Harry, you know, and that not necessarily over his family. His family's not in danger, but he chose mm-hmm. to do what he needed to do for this good man. And, you know, one of the ticks that they find out, you know, things that clicks into place here is that Lydia was one of the children at, in the Kravos cult. And so they kind of, now they figured out why she's connected to all of this. And she's asleep because they were, they drugged her or something, which you would figure, I think at some point people would be worried about sleep at the, you know, cause the way the nightmare gets into people we know is by through their dreams, <laughs> um, but she's asleep. Let's let her rest. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> um, so, we go back to trying to figure out where we're at, Ari Bianca. The ball was, that was the climax of her plan. Mm-hmm. Get them into that situation and he's going to die. And yet, somehow he didn't. So, try to figure out where we're at on that front as much as anything. At mm-hmm. least, what I, I think what they're looking to do here is find something to do. Yeah. You know, they're kind of at a loss. Where they're, you know, They lost. They, they lost the big battle. And... They need a plan. <laughs> they don't really have any goals or tasks. So I think they're just trying to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's trying to send Michael out to check on his family and try to get Charity a little bit less mad at him and by ex- extension less mad at Harry. And um, as they're getting, you know, about to get out of there, someone's banging on the door. And they're banging on the door. And so Michael gets the, gets the poker from the fireplace. Harry opens the door. And it's that son of a bitch Thomas. A vampire who betrayed them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Harry asks, "You think we should kill him?" <laughs> and I love, I love the next line. Is Michael flat and disinterest, flatly and disinterestedly says before he hurts someone? Oof. And that makes Harry fucking shiver. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. That I think he's being honest there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Michael does some of these things to like kind of play the bad cop, good cop role yeah. type of thing. I, this is a vampire that Michael wants to just delete and mm. i think that's fucking scary and great i love that little yeah. wi- of window. all people yeah that window into michael in particular is great <laughs> and then i i feel this one look thomas i've had a really bad day and i only woke up a half hour ago you're adding to it which <laughs> is a a good kind of callback to murphy with the opposite problem her day her day had been way too fucking long and mm-hmm. you're adding to it Oh, I just like the synergy of those two lines kind of thing. Um, I just thought that was interesting, if not really notable. Definitely. But he comes back and he says, give me one reason why I shouldn't kill you like the lying, treacherous vampire sleaze you are. He says, because you can trust me. I want to help you. Like, why the hell should I believe you? And he's like, again, a good... good. Yeah, but that you shouldn't. 
Love okay. it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you're telling me to trust you, but now you're saying I should? Don't. I'm a damn good liar. One of the best. I'm not asking you to believe me. Believe the circumstances. We have common interest. And he even says that his plan was, after giving up Susan, mm-hmm. but he was making, he wanted, his plan was to take a step back and then to now attack from behind. Well, they're, and they're kind of have multiple fronts. He wasn't actually, in his words here, mm-hmm. stepping out of the fight so much as giving them another opportunity to win the fight. He's, he was still on their side is what he's saying there. He's claiming. Sure. You know, there's no reason to trust him. He's a great liar. But I, I thought I would get the chance to help you out once Bianca had taken her eyes off of me. But she double-crossed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is similar to other lines he says, but I just love every time he does one of these. And now it's going to get repeated later in this podcast, but... Well, Thomas, I don't know how you knew you are in all of this, but <laughs> Bianca is what we colloquially refer to as a bad guy. They do that. That's one of the ways you can tell they're bad guys. I love that. I love that so much. Oh. And the... God save me from my dealists, Thomas Muttered. <laughs> it's the two ends of the spectrum, and they're spectacular. Oh, yeah, so good. He tells him that Susan is alive, and we can make a deal, work together. What do you say? Mm-hmm. They have Justine, they have Susan. Circumstantially, it actually does make sense that they can work together. And then mm-hmm. he wants Justine so he can keep draining the life out of her, Michael says. Harry, if we aren't going to kill him, let's at least put him out. <laughs> that's lined by Thomas. If you do, you'll be making a huge mistake. And I swear to you, by my own stunning good looks and towering ego, that I'm not lying to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I say to Michael, kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and he hands over the ca- this rifle case he'd been carrying, and he says it's a deposit, a down payment for your help. And Harry puts his hand on it to try to feel if there's any magical what's-its, you know, booby traps, and he doesn't feel that. He feels a pleasant tingle mm-hmm. and they open it up and right that there is the big old sword of love Amarakius is back in michael's possession and you can see a gigantic see i literally you can see it reading a book this gigantic weight is lifted off of him mm-hmm. and he even says like i hear you and he's like uh nobody else heard anything michael he's like no he's telling me that my work is not done i'm I still am the rightful wielder of the sword and I'm going to do what I have to. And it's just a great moment mm-hmm. for a, a guy that has always been there to do the right thing and protect everyone else and working hard for every, no one but not for himself. This is his redemption. Michael gets this moment for himself that I just love. I think he needed um, it. Absolutely. Because as strong as he's being for everyone else, losing the sword has been killing him. Yes. On top of, you know, all the stuff going on with his wife and his family. So, But I, I think love... that this made him kind of feel like he was a failure. Absolutely. But yeah, so Thomas gives them some uh, intel on the home. Mm-hmm. He's been in and around it, and he kind of was hiding in the shadows, taking inventory of what personnel they have, for the most part, where everything is located. Obviously, he doesn't have perfect blueprints or anything like that, but he's got a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. And things are starting to look up. Maybe we... uh. Hey, we're doing okay. Maybe we ask, let's ask, wake up Lydia and see if she has any ideas of what's going on inside the house, huh? Mm. Yeah, it's going to be great. Da, da, da. At least she got a little sleep, Michael said. Oof. I don't think she's had any for days. Oof. Michael's words froze me solid. Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's a reason why she had been preventing herself from sleeping. Mm-hmm. Because she wakes up, grabs Harry's neck, 
and says, I've waited long enough for this. Goodbye, wizard. And this tiny little girl flings him like a baseball bat at the stone of his fireplace. Mm-hmm. Some days, it just doesn't pay to get out of bed. So Harry's flying across the room, and Thomas jumps in and stops him. The force of the projection of Harry across the room actually knocks Thomas's ribs askew. Quite lovely. Um, so it, it kind of tells you about, she's pretty freaking strong. So Michael confronts her, and he has Amarachius tip on her sternum. And Harry tells her, this is really Lydia. This isn't a magical construct like we saw before. The nightmare is possessing her. Anything we do to Lydia's body, she's going to have to live with later. So the nightmare has stepped up his game. The ghost, it's no longer just a ghost or, or a, an abstract. It, it's a person. He's in a person. So this version of Lydia is very strong. She rushes Michael and they fight. He grabbed her, th- her forearms as she reached for his throat, whirled, and sent her tumbling into the couch, knocking it over backwards and sending her into a sprawl on the far side. Keep her busy, I shouted to him. I can get, I, I can get it out of her. And then he goes to get, <laughs> he rushes to his messy bedroom for ingredients for an, an exorcism. He finds a five trick birthday candles and a pound of, five pound bag of salt. Because, of course, he does. So he opens the salt, pours a circle, <laughs> and Lydia starts freaking out. Flickum bicus. I shouted, shoving a hurried effort of will into a little spell. Is that a, like a Bic lighter spell? Where he's <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. That's what I, that's what I was like, flickum bicus. Are we, okay. Mm-hmm. So. Good catch. That was just so ridiculous. So he sets it, he uh, reaches out, he, he He's, he, I rose, reaching out my right hand and feeding more energy into the circle, setting it up in a spinning vortex, winding it about the three beings inside it, Lydia, Michael, and the nightmare. Energy gathered in the circle, spinning around, whirling magic down into the earth, grounding and dispersing it. I could almost see the nightmare clutching tighter to Lydia, holding on. All I needed was the right move to stun the nightmare, to lock it up for a second so that the exorcism could sweep it away. Azorthragal, I shouted, bellowing out the demon's name. Azorthragal, Azorthragal, I stretched out my right hand, again, concerting fiercely. Be gone. Lydia begins to laugh. She breaks Michael's arm. And Harry realizes he had it wrong. And they realize that, of course, this all, the demon they thought it was, isn't who is possessing Lydia. And Lydia begins to kill Harry. She has her arms around his neck. And such a shame all this time. And you didn't even know who it was, who it was after you. You didn't even know who else wanted revenge. I guess sometimes you find out the hard way I slurred. Sometimes Lydia agreed, smiling. And then her hands closed over my throat. And I didn't have any more air. Sometimes when you're facing death, it feels like everything slows down. Everything stands out sharply in detail almost freezes. You can see it all, feel it all, as though your brain has decided in sheer defiance to seize the last few moments of life and to squeeze them for every bit of living left. My brain did that to me. 
But instead of showing me my trashed apartment and how I really needed a new coat of paint on the ceiling, it started frantically shoving puzzle pieces together. Lydia, the shadow demon, Mavra, the torment spells, Bianca. One thing stood out in my mind, a piece that didn't fit anywhere. Susan had been gone for a day or two, where I had barely been able to talk to her. She said she was working on something, that something was happening. It fit. Somehow it fit. So Harry is going through this, I guess, moments before death. (laughs) And he's starting to realize that Murphy had been distracted by something too, something she'd hardly changed subjects on. Intuition drew a line between them and then an equal sign. And then I had it, the last piece of the puzzle. I knew what had happened, where the nightmare had come from, why it was after me in particular. I knew how to stop it. Knew what its limits were, how Bianca had enlisted it, and why my spells had been so hard-pressed to affect it. Almost a pity, really. I figured figured things out just in time to die. Vision faded altogether, and a moment later sort of the pain in my throat. Instead of drifting off into whatever lay beyond, though, I sucked in a breath of fresh air, gasping and choking. My vision became red for a moment as blood rushed back through my head and started to clear. So Thomas is using his vampire magic and distracting her. And she's released him. And so he starts the exorcism again. Makes a circle. Puts the candles in. And he said, if I was right, I would free Lydia. Maybe permanently. If I was wrong... This was the last of my energy, and I'd dump it into the earth for nothing. The nightmare would presumably kill us, and I didn't think any of us were in any shape to do anything about it. This is that balls-to-the-wall moment. Do or die. And he's got to do. Energy gathered in the circle, rising in a growing whirl of invisible, tingling power. I stretched out my hand and willed more energy into it, feeling dizzy. And the power begins to rise. Another vortex. Lenoid Kravos, I thundered. I repeated the name and saw Lydia's eyes fly open, wide in shock. Be gone, Kravos, you second-rate firecaller. Be gone, be gone. And with the last word, I stamped my foot down, releasing the power of the exorcism down into the earth. I love that. He's been had by this guy. This guy's absolutely duped the shit out of him. 110%. And he's still going to talk shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, come on. So, Michael's broken. Uh, Thomas is laying next to Lydia and nuzzling her. And apparently we learn a little bit about the white court. They're seducers. They feed on lust, fear, hatred, emotions. And he's trying to, Thomas is trying to say that, you know, oh, she's willing. She's no good offer or you, or you and I are going to have words. And so we have an interesting little. But I'm hungry. Inter- Right. And an interesting little interaction between Michael and Harry's sex vampires. I know I muttered. Still, it's interesting. Interesting? Michael sounded skeptical. Harry, I wouldn't call it interesting. Why not? I thought. I squinted after Thomas thoughtfully. Whatever he he used, it worked on the nightmare. Caught it up. That means it's, it's either some kind of ambient magic, maybe that cold I felt, that works on everything around it, or else it's something chemical, like the red court venom, something that got in, got to Lydia's body and bypassed the nightmare's control of her mind altogether. Pheromones, maybe. Harry, Michael said, I don't really mean to discourage your scholarly pursuits, but would you mind very much helping me with these broken ribs? <laughs> I just love their interactions. They're just delightful. Oh, good. And so they realize that 
It wasn't the demon that crossed over. They were never fighting the demon. It was always Kravos. And Michael says, but we didn't kill Kravos. He's still alive. Dollars to donuts, he isn't. I figure the night before the nightmare attacks started, he put together a ritual and takes himself out. Why would he do that? To come back as a ghost, to get revenge. Think about it. That's all the nightmare has been doing. It's been rampaging around, avenging Kravos. Could he do that, Michael asked? I shrugged. I don't see why he couldn't. If he had raised a bunch of power, and if he focused on getting his vengeance and turning himself into a ghost, especially with the border to the never-never as turbulent as ever, Michael finished. Exactly. Which means that Mavra and Bianca helped him out. Hell, they probably put together that ritual that he used. And if someone in federal custody here in Chicago suddenly turned up suicided in his cell, it would cause a big stir in the local police. It would be serious news for the media which is why Murphy was being so hush-hush and Susan was so distracted. So we figured, we've got it figured out. And, and Thomas says it concisely, this nightmare is a ghost of the sorcerer Kravos, the cult murderer in the news several months ago. And the turbulence in the never-never let, let him get made into a badass ghost. So we've got, uh, we're, you know, our things are coming together. We're figuring it out. And now they have to go defeat him for good. Thomas says, did you get hit on the head when I wasn't looking? Dresden, I told you about the guards, the machine guns. I did mention the machine guns, didn't I? <laughs> They're planning on going back to Bianca's and saving the day. I'm already past the point where a sane man would be afraid. Guards and machine guns, whatever. Look, Bianca has Susan plus Justine and maybe 20 or 30 kids being held captive or getting set to be turned into fresh vampires. The police's hands are tied. Someone has to do something, and I'm the only one in a position to... Get riddled with bullets, Thomas interjected, <laughs> his tone dry. My, how very helpful that will be towards attaining our mutual goals. Oh, Jesus. I just love it. And that's the thing. But Harry is, what did his tombstone say? He died doing the right thing. And that's continuously what he does. And so they're trying to figure out how to sneak in. And, but Harry says, if I walk up where they can see us, they'll all be killed. And Thomas frowned. You have something else in mind? I doubt we could veil ourselves with magic. In familiar surroundings, she's going to be difficult to fool with those kinds of glamour. I raised an, I lifted an eyebrow at the vampire. You're right. I had something else in mind. I came through the rift between the mortal world and the never-never last. I bore my staff and rod and wore my leather duster, my shield bracelet, and a copper ring upon my left hand matched by another on my right. The never-never near my apartment looked like... My apartment, only a bit cleaner and brighter. Deep philosophical statement about the spirituality of my little basement? Maybe. <laughs> so Michael has his fancy sword. Its blade is glowing with pearly luminescence. And he's bandaged up. Thomas is dressed up in some of Harry's clothes. And in a sack made of fishnet, Bob's along for the ride. Harry, Bob asked, are you sure about this? I mean, I don't want to get caught in the never-never if I can avoid it. A few old misunderstandings, you see. <laughs> so Bob is our, our, our tour guide, basically. He is leading us to where we need to be. And Harry says, you know, just give us the shortest path to Bianca's place. Then I tear a hole back over to our side into her basement. We get everyone and get them out and bring them home. There is no shortest path, Harry. This is a spirit world. 
things are linked together by concepts and ideas and don't necessarily adhere to physical distance. Like, I know the basics, Bob, I told him, but the bottom line is that you know your way around here a lot better than I do. Get us there. <laughs> so they're cruising and Harry realizes that uh, they're in ferry, which is problematic. And Bob tells us it is the biggest place in the Never Never. You can't get to anywhere without crossing through ferry at one place or another. Well, hurry up and cross us out, Bob says. Believe me, I don't want to hang here either. Either we get the Disney version of fairies with elves and Tinkerbell pixies and who knows what sugary cuteness, or we get the Wicked Witch version, which is considerably more entertaining but less healthy. Even the summer court isn't all sweetness and light, Bob. Shut up. Which way? The skull turned mutely towards what seemed to be the westernmost side of the hill, and we descended down it. Harry, Michael said quietly, I'm getting a bad feeling. And then they hear in the distance the clear notes of a hunting horn, dark and clear, and the bang of hounds. Hellhounds are coming. So they run for a bridge. They're moving as fast as they can. And Bob says, if it's all the same to you, you might want to run a bit faster. There's a hunt coming. It's kind of like a no shit. Thanks, Bob. So helpful. Right. And Thomas says, I could have sworn they were miles away a moment ago. It's the never, never. I panted. Distance time is all fucked up here. Wow. Bob commented. I hadn't realized that they grew hellhounds that big. And look, Carrie, it's your godmother. Hi, Leah. (laughs) Just love Bob. Don't be so enthusiastic, Bob. If she catches me, I get to join the pack. Oh, there's been a falling out then. Or falling further out at any rate, since you weren't on such great terms to begin with. Something like that, I panted. So they're running, they're running, and a lariat hits him about the throat. And he's yanked back and he goes down. That's a horse talk, a little horse collar tackle <laughs> around, around the neck there. Uh-oh, Bob said. Harry, whatever you do, don't drop me, especially under a rock. Thanks a lot, I gasped, reaching up to jerk the rope from its constricting hold on my throat. And heavy hooves sink into the turf. And a, and a large horse rides up with Leah rode, riding the beast's side saddle, perfectly relaxed and confident, wearing a dress of sable in midnight blue. Her hair caught back in a loose braid of flame. And she looks at him and says, feeling better, are we? <laughs> Leah asked with a slow smile. That's wonderful. We can finally conclude our bargain. It's I'm just not. great. That's pretty fantastic. Oh, it is, in fact. It's a great little uh, way to look at life here that I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says... It only takes a couple of these rough little episodes to teach a man a certain amount of cynicism. Once a rogue wizard or three has tried to end your life, or some berserk hexen wolves have worked really hard to have your throat torn out, you start to expect the worst. In fact, if the worst doesn't happen, you find yourself somewhat disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) So, they have this backup plan, basically, assuming that that godmother will catch us. And... Mm -hmm. It begins to present itself because of how helpful they are being to her plans. Quickly, he has Thomas and Michael kind of distract her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they throw boxes of, uh, what do you call them? Nails. They throw boxes of nails mm-hmm. around, presumably to, you know, block her path as she is trying to, you know, with steel or cold iron. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, it's neither of those things. It's just regular ass aluminum nails there's no iron content because why would they bring why would they bring iron into the fairy that would seem that would be a bad guest thing to do 
So they just end up trying to shoot the shit. You know, Tom's like, oh, it's a lovely horse. What's its name? <laughs> Love that. That's such a great moment. And Thomas or uh, Harry says, come on, Godmother, make with the magic. Do I get to pick my color? I don't think I want to be charcoal gray. Maybe give me a nice sandy pelt. Ooh, or white with blue eyes. I already want a blue eye. <laughs> um, and she's like, what are you doing here? Stop it. What, what, what spells are you preparing to cast at you? And Michael's like, I swear, on the blood of Christ, we're not. <laughs> we and you know want- you, can, you can trust that. Absolutely. We, we just wanted to see this, up cl- this you know, transfiguration up close. I'm, I'm just really excited about this. <laughs> it turns out what he's done to pull one over on Leah this time is he's taken uh, a toadstool. He's taken, he's chewed up some poison. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously not super excited about that because she doesn't want a dead, fucked up Harry. She wants mm-hmm. the living, cool version of Harry. And so they end up making another bargain with her here, <clears throat> wherein Michael happens to have the exact antidote we're looking for. In exchange, so Michael will, in exchange for one year of Leah leaving us the fuck alone, she will get, he will give the antidote of the toadstool to Harry. It's not really an antidote, but it's a potion that will at least slow down the process. So he's not going to get his ass kicked quite so, so easily and so quickly by this thing. And she agrees. So in, t- in typical fairy terms, Leah just agrees to back off. However, Leah's not the only one out, out there in the woods tonight. So all of the other creatures of fairy that would be serving her will get him and will bring him to her. And she doesn't have to lift a finger. So she is safe from this process. I love how this moment goes where we, we get Leah getting fooled, realizing she's getting fooled, and then deciding that she doesn't care that she got fooled. She's going to win anyway. <laughs> By having her, her minions are still going to go after Harry. They're still going to take him down. And I think the moral of the story is you don't fuck with a she. But at the end of the day, it is he's still in danger because all these monsters will get him and they will Mm -hmm. bring him back to Leah. So they need a plan. And the plan is basically Michael and Thomas are going to sacrifice themselves (laughs) to try to save the day. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's sacrifice themselves. They're going to hold this spot. And Harry and Bob are going to hustle another couple miles down the road to get to the spot where they can teleport into teleport. They can go back across, back into the real world, into Bianca's basement. Mm-hmm. So we have a good little exchange where, you know, <laughs> they, the, they realize there's a vampire here with you know, one of the only things between Michael and death is a vampire here. And we're not huge vampire fans around these parts, but we're going to have to make it work. And they're going to, they basically make an agreement that he's going to bring Justine out and you're going to stay here and fight. And you're going to protect Thomas or Mike, you're choosing, you're going to protect Michael as best you can. And if you don't, we're going to be unhappy with each other and we're going to have some words, but they hustle to the spot where they're supposed to go through to Bianca's place. And Bob clearly sees something is wrong. Bob is saying, oh, I think you should hear this. Uh, you need to hear this. Da, 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 da. And Harry's like, fuck you, but Arpoturum. And he opens it up. And they hop through. And unfortunately, Bianca is standing right there. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, Harry Dresden, such a pleasant surprise to have you visit. And that is certainly less than ideal as far as ideal things go. Generally speaking. Just specifically. We're in some trouble. We're in some trouble here. 
basically what Bob was trying to tell him is that the curtain felt weak, like someone had just gone through it, like they had been watching this side. Of course, Bianca murmured, a guard for every door. Do you think me a fool, Mr. Dresden? We, well, we, we did. <laughs> we- and this is kind of gross. The deers bring him down, and they hit me so fast I never saw them move. There simply came a hideous rushing force. I have memories of being passed from claw to claw, thrown, carried in the air, toyed with, snuffling, squashed snouts and staring black eyes and hissing, terrible laughter. No, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) They tore his clothes off. He felt Bianca press her naked flesh to me, a heated, sinuous dream body that unraveled into a nightmare. I felt the skin split and burst apart around her true form. The sweetness of her perfume gave way to a rotten fruit reek. Her purring voice became a whining hiss. And their tongues, soft, intimate, warm, moist, pleasure that struck me like hammers while I tried to scream against it. Nope. No, thank you. (laughs) All bad. Darkness. Mm -hmm. Sensual darkness. Then pain. Then nothing. And these bears. That, in fact. And so, Harry had... It's just another interesting kind of moment, I think, uh, where Harry says, I have very few memories of my father. I was 60 years old when he died. And then he talks about nightmares. His nightmares when his father was alive. The nightmares hadn't started until just before his death. I don't remember them specifically, but I remember waking up screaming in a child's high-pitched shriek of terror. I'd scream in the darkness, scrambling to squeeze into the smallest space I could find. My father would come looking for me and find me and pull me into his lap. He would hold me and make me warm, and soon I would fall asleep again, safe, secure. The monsters can't get you here, Harry, he'd say. They can't get you. He'd been right. Until now. Until tonight. The monsters got me. I don't know where real life left off and my nightmares began, but I thrashed myself awake, screaming a scratchy, hollow scream that made little more noise than a whimper. I screamed until I ran out of breath, and then all I could do was sob. It's just so sad. I lay there, naked, undone. No one came to hold me. No one came to make it all better. No one had, really, since my dad died. Awful. It's just a sad little kind of look into Harry. Yeah. He's... Dealing with the after effects of the poison, of the poisonous mushroom, the combination of the mushroom and then the vampire venom. And he kind of seems like he wants to sort of give up. He said, for a minute, I stopped fighting. I just lay there, weak and thirsty and hurting and sick, curled up into a ball. I would have started crying again if I'd had that much feeling left in me. I would have wept and waited to die. Instead, some merciless, steady voice in my head drove me to open my eyes. I hesitated afraid. I didn't want to open my eyes and see nothing. I didn't want to find myself in that same darkness. That darkness was hissing things all around me, maybe there, still just waiting for me to awaken, so that they panic swept me for a moment and gave me enough strength to shiver and push myself up into a sitting position. I took a deep breath and opened my eyes. I could see. So there's light in the darkness. And it's not a big room. It's It seems like he, he, he realizes that he, he may have vomited up some blood 
and there was a lump of clothes in one corner, several laundry baskets, a washer and dryer on the far wall, and Justine. You're awake, Justine said. I didn't think you'd ever wake up. Gone was a glamorous girl I'd seen at the ball. Her hair hung lank and greasy. Her pale body looked lean, almost gaunt. And her limbs, what I could see of them, were stained and dirty, as was her face. Her eyes disturbed me. There was something feral in them, something unsettling. And then she says, I'm not crazy, she said, her voice sharp-edged. I know what you're thinking. I had to cough before I could talk, and it made pain shoot through my body. That wasn't what I was thinking. Of course it wasn't. I know what you were thinking, that you, that they'd shut you in here with that stupid little whore. No, it isn't like that. She hissed like a cat and raked her nails across my face, scoring my cheek in three lines of fire. I cried out and fell back, the wall interrupting my retreat. I can always tell when I'm like this. And he says, I'm, I'm sorry, God, what did they do to you? This, she said carelessly, thrusting out one hand, round, bruised punctures marked a wrist. And this, she held out another wrist, showing another set of marks. And this, she stretched out her thigh to one side of her body, parallel to the floor, to show more marks along it. They all wanted a little taste, so they got it. I don't understand. She smiled with too many teeth, and it made me uneasy. They didn't do anything. I'm like this. This is the way I always am. Um, you weren't that way last night. Last night? Two nights ago, at least. That was because he was there. Thomas. Yes, Thomas. He makes it quieter inside me. There's so much good trying to get out, like at the hospital. Control, they said. I don't have any kind of control other people have. It's hormones, but the drugs only make me sick. He doesn't, though. Only a little tired. So that's why Thomas has this connection with her. Not because he needs her, but because she needs him. Mm. I mean, that's just like, it's kind of sad. But it's sort of like, it gives you a little bit more... Well, it's a very interesting twist on the vampire victim. Yes, but it gives you an insight into Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, who is trying to help as well. So it's just an interesting interesting kind of approach to it. And at that moment, I was just like, oh, goodness me. It's just a different effect. And it's, it's, I, you know, I could appreciate that. And so, uh, he says, all right, well, we have to get out of here. She said, there is no out of here. This is the larder. The Christmas turkey doesn't get up and walk away. And he says, I was poisoned. If I don't get to a hospital, I'm going to die. Almost everyone dies in a hospital. You'd get to be, you'd get to be someplace different. Isn't that better? It's one of those things I could live without. And she kind of... Drops out. A low mist crept out of the wall, a smoky, slithery mass that's, that whirled itself down onto the floor like ethereal lace. The mist touched lightly at my blood on the floor where I'd thrown up and then began to swirl and shape itself into something vaguely human. Great, I muttered. More ghosts. If I get out of this alive, I've got to get a new job. And then we recognize the ghost is the girl Bianca had fed upon until she died. Which one, Paula or Rachel? Right? He says <laughs> Rachel here, but earlier she was referred to as Paula. But as soon as he speaks her name, she turns. And she knows who he is. Hell's bells, I whispered. No wonder Bi- Bianca got stuck on a vengeance kick. She literally was haunted by your death. The spirit's face twisted in distress. She said something, but I could only hear it as a distant, muffled sound accompanying the movement of her lips. I can't understand you, Rachel. I can't hear you. 
And then he, you know, does a little interesting communication action here and it says, ah, you're tired. I don't know what I can do for you. I don't know if I can help you. And he says, you think Bianca can lay to you rest? She's keeping you here. She's keeping you here. Rachel nodded, her ghostly pretty face agonized. Makes sense, I muttered. Bianca fixates on you as you die tragically, binds your ghost here. The ghost appears to her and drives her into a vengeance, and she blames it all on me. Rachel's ghost nodded. I didn't kill you. You know that. She nodded again. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry that me being in the wrong place at the wrong time set you up to die. And she gives him a gentle smile, which transformed into a sudden expression of horror. She looked past me at Justine, and then her image began to fade to withdraw into the wall. And then, very nice, she said, voice subtly altered, different. Rather like Lydia in a lot of ways, isn't she, Mr. Dresden? Kravos, I whispered. Joanne's eyes flooded with blood through the roids. Oh, yes, she said. Yes, indeed. Man, you need to get a life in the worst way. That was you, wasn't it? The telephone call, the night Ag Agatha Hagglethorn went nuts. My last call, Kravos said through Justine's lips, nodding. I wanted to savor what was about to happen, like now. Bianca has ordered that you should receive no visitors, but I just couldn't resist the chance to take a look at you. You want to look at me? Come on in. There's a few things in here I'd like to show you. Justine smiled and shook her head. It would be too much effort for too little return. Even without the shelter of a threshold, possessing even a mind so weak as this child's requires a considerable amount of effort. Effort, which is made possible by a grant from the Harry Dresden Soul Foundation. Leave the girl alone. Oh, but she's fine. She's really happier like this. She can't hurt anyone, you see, or herself. This is a weird, like, protecting her by possessing her thing. It's very strange. Um, I said, you know, come now, Dresden. You and I are both among the wise. We both know you wouldn't want to die at the hands of a lesser being. I might rank among the wise, I said. You, Kravos, are nothing but a two-bit troublemaker. You're the stupid thug of Wizardland, and you managed to live as long as you did without killing yourself. It's some kind of miracle in itself. Well, Dresden, you're dead. You've been slated to die. You'll be gone in the next few hours. And even if you aren't, if you live through what they have planned, the poison will kill you slowly. And before you go, you'll sleep. Bianca won't stop me this time. You'll sleep, and I'll be there. I'll come into your dreams, and I will make your last moments on Earth a nightmare that lasts for years. And then he's gone. And Justine, she's... she's She's crying. She wants to help. There's too much in the way. I can't think. And Harry, even in Harry's dying, Harry knows he's going to die and he's still trying to comfort her. And Justine is sad. She says, I'll never see him again. And she wept for some time as the nausea and pain in my belly grew. The light outside the door never wavered. I didn't know if it was dark or light or if Thomas and Michael were still alive to come after me. If they were gone and it was all my, it was my fault. I'd never be able to live with myself. And then something stirs in the corner. And just he says, don't go. Don't go over there. Why not? Oh, no. You won't like it. And it's Susan. And she seems to be whole, not bleeding. But she's, she's blazing with fever. I'm dizzy, thirsty, she said. You've got a fever. Can you roll over here toward me? The light, it hurts my eyes. It did mine too when I woke up. It will pass. Don't, Justine whispered. You won't like it. You won't like it. And then Susan turns over. She opens her eyes. And they are all black. 
black and staring, glittering, darker than pitch, with no white to them at all to distinguish them as human. My heart leapt up onto my throat, and things began to spin faster around me. You won't like it, Justine intoned. They changed her. The Red Court changed her. Bianca changed her. Dresden? Susan whispered. Dear God, I thought, this can't be happening. Mr. Dresden? I'm so thirsty. So, holy crap. What a great way to end. I love a good cliffhanger. <laughs> but also, I thought everybody else was going to be supernatural except for Susan. And here we are. <laughs> All of those uh, crackpot theories were wrong. Well, but, I mean, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty great. No, I, I love I love the twist and turn there. And, like, Justine saying, don't go over there. You won't like it. You won't like it. Um, mm-hmm. That's such a great little scene and it's so painful for Harry and it's awful. And that's where we end up with the yell of his yife in dire straits. Yeah. Pretty gnarly. All right. So a good meaty chunk there. Um, Six chapters. Again, we kind of, Split it up as we went through it here. Um, do you have any uh, jarring thoughts or pressing questions here as we get in there? Not so much pressing questions or jarring thoughts. Um, but I, I, I have some interesting observations. I thought they were interesting observations. Um, first off, the most pressing thing for me, where did Bob go? Bob comes back, right? We don't lose Bob forever. I don't know. That's a very good question. Oh. Um, the, the important Presum- thing. Presumably he had other accoutrement also. He had his staff and his blasting rod and his dusters. So those always I mean, come back. But Bob, yeah. I mean You never know. Bob's got power. What is this blasting rod? Yes, but Bob <laughs> is a spirit. He is this very important spirit of intellect. Um and the other thing um I I noted regarding uh the fire is that anger is his hiding place. At one point, he says, I don't remember what I don't remember about the fire spell. And that's the other thing is like, this is part of the who's he speaking to. But we discussed that about how this is a retelling. But Angus is hiding place. And when he in the when he's in the, the, the laundry room, he doesn't have anger anymore. He has anguish. Yeah. He's like broken and sad. Yeah. And it's very the two different sides of it where. Anger comes power. He can hide with an anger, but with anguish, he can't. No. But he's still, at his core, is trying to help, is trying to f- make Justine feel better, is trying to fix things. He's even yeah. trying to make Bianca, uh, not Bianca, uh, make Rachel Paula <laughs> uh, feel better as a ghost. Like, even when he's in his worst moments, he knows he's going to die. Utter anguish. He's in a nightmare. He's still trying to comfort other people. But again, it's Harry Dresden. He died doing the right thing. Yeah, it just goes to show that like, for all his flaws and all his faults and all his mistakes, mm-hmm. he's at his core just a good dude who wants things to be better for people. Yeah. Um, which I do like. You know, it's, it's easy to root for somebody who is a good person but makes mistakes Yeah. versus someone who, you know, is it's self-righteous perfect. and perfect. Yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. I, 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 I agree. I noticed that and I, I just really liked it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk real briefly about the uh, just kind of the, the narrative structure, I guess, or the narrative um, tool mm-hmm. of the the red herring. It, it, it's not really a red herring with a Zothrigal versus the nightmare because mm-hmm. it's 
we solved the mystery. They solved it. You know, it was the mystery. It was a mystery earlier in the novel who it was, and then they solved. It. Oh, it's the demon. It's a Zothargal. Okay, we solved that. And then, like, with a kathunk, it, it, it comes back that it's what they had solved it wrong. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you what narrative trope that would be. Um, I don't think it's red herring, but it's the same idea of like yeah. tricking the audience. But I really liked the way it was done in that it mm-hmm. wasn't even. It wasn't that they weren't sure. They, they, they were. They were sure. We're done. We solved it. Yeah. And they talked about it as if it was a solved, a solved issue. And then over the last couple chapters here in this section, it becomes very clear that remember when Bianca says, "Oh, is that what you thought happened?" And yeah. we were like, "What, what, what does she mean? Is that we thought happened? That that is what happened, right?" Um, and we didn't know kind of what parts of her t- of his tale were incorrect. And then they figured out when Kravos is there attacking Lydia. Or attacking them through Lydia, I guess. But I just love that kind of twist that they put on that. I just thought it was really interesting, and you don't really see something like that very often. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's it's really well done as as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's and I love that. I did have an interesting lore conversation to have about the faith of objects versus the Red Court in particular, mm-hmm. um, where we saw in Stormfront. Harry uses his pentacle and it blasts blasts to light to push back Bianca. And in this novel, we see Michael use a cross mm-hmm. and it blasts to light and pushes back the bad guys. Whereas Susan has a cross and it doesn't do that. Um, she the difference of power. Yeah. yeah well, he said, power and faith. he said faith magic is, is hard to utilize. Yeah. And I just really like that because she doesn't have any faith, you know, particularly maybe she, you know, she may be a, christian or whatever but like she doesn't hasn't shown certainly not a part of her character or her being that her faith is important to her and so she doesn't get the same pushback against the red court vampires with the cross mm-hmm. as you know any of the other characters we've seen using faith magic i just thought that was interesting because we talked you know we've talked so much about how powerful faith magic has been throughout this novel but we haven't talked a lot about the limitations mm-hmm. and certainly that's one of them there very much so Cool lore with the uh, different vampires. Again, you know, I think we touched on it last time, but we get to see the white court in action here. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see the red court, kind of the effects of the red court on somebody here as well. Yeah. Um, we're still not really sure where we're at in any of those processes, but certainly no bueno. But it's also, we also get to see the differences of the three courts of vampires. Yeah. Which is cool. Very, very much so. So I love it. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed, there's a couple other things I had noticed. Um, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier about how in the last set of series, Thomas says, I can't abide poachers. And then Justine says she calls him a poacher in regards to Thomas. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting kind of moment. Well, it's um, he's projecting. Like he's, this is what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Like, but it's interesting that's what they're... cool white court vampires would say. So I'm going to say it to, to look like a cool white court vampire. Well, I just took it as that they're, they're more alike than they give, they, than they think. Yeah, um, possibly. I took it as more Michael's not that guy. Or sorry, Thomas. Thomas is not that guy. But it could also be that he knows that she needs his protection as a white court vampire. Oh, very much And so, what yeah. she does. Well, we learn later how he can soothe her, basically. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing I loved, I don't remember if I mentioned it in the moment, but um, 
where he describes sinister applause. <laughs> yeah. That's just a cool again, it's I love the way that Butcher describes normal things. And now it was just like I've never thought of applause as sinister, but I know exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty great. And my only uh because it, applause Hold on, I found, I found the, the quote. Applause, listless and somehow sinister, came out of the dark around us. Sorry, came out of the dark around us. There should be some kind of law. Anything that is so bad that it's applause is sinister should be universally banned or something. <laughs> I just think that's so wonderful. It's so fantastic. Absolutely. Those are my big observations. We are. We do also go back to the honorifics with everybody using um, titles and things like that. And I, I mean, I I like how it goes back and forth. I like how that is such a a, a constant, thorough, thread. Because it does. It it's creating boundaries, um, in a natural way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see. I I do like that. Um, for that just because we've been talking about it so much mm -hmm. that this chunk ends with Mr. Dresden. I'm so yes. thirsty. Yes. Um, just because you've been hammering those so hard in the last few I, It's just something I notice. Oh no, um, it's great. It's and a it, great it, literary uh, yeah. tool. Absolutely. I dig. Um, anything on the uh, yikesy front? Too yikesy, really. I didn't, I don't recall anything too yikesy. And even... The things he notices, um, like when Bianca leans down and she's uh, nude under her fire dress, he just notices it in passing, and it's totally something Harry would notice. And the 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 moments of Harry noticing women as women, as I as not always as equal humans, are getting fewer and far between. And when it does happen, it is more of a, the way it's written is less creepy, I guess. Is yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of, again, and this is one of those situations where there is a lot of overt sexuality because there's these powerful beings who a big part of their power, mm -hmm. or at least the way that they utilize and implement their power is through their sexuality. And so they pet Benatar at sex is a weapon. Exactly. But so of course they write, he, you know, they, it exists and it's there, but he doesn't take it that step to objectifying. Um, you know, he acknowledges that she's, you know, got titties down her fire dress. Like, of course, like she's showing him that on purpose. Like she's using her flesh, flesh mask as a tool. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's fine. Like, that's exactly what we've been talking about for weeks now where yeah. you're allowed to have sexy characters and they're allowed to know they're sexy and they're allowed to use their sexuality, but it's yeah. when you take that away from them and make them only that aspect of them, that's when it's a problem. And he yeah. hasn't been, he really yeah. hasn't been doing that of late. So yeah, again, a really pretty Which, clean yikes, yikes section. It's really, it's, uh, and it's, you can tell the writing is evolving. Mm -hmm. So in that case, then what, uh, you got any quotes for us? Oh, I have several, some of them we've read, but I don't care. Oh, yeah. The number one, the first one, these are all chronological, is uh, 
You haven't taken us down yet, I shot back. Smart for you and your people to get out of my way before I get cranky. <laughs> just entertaining. I also like Bianca. The game has ended, wizard. It's just so, like, super villain. Yep, yep. Then the next one is so stupid. Kenny Rogers, eat your heart out. If this bluff worked, I'd be more of a gambler than he'd ever dreamed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just silly. Actually, I have several of these, but... Well, Thomas, I don't know how new you are to all of this, but Bianca is what we colloquially refer to as a bad guy. <laughs> they do that. That's one way you can tell they're bad guys. <laughs> I love it. It just is entertaining. You know, I mean, if there's just so many moments that I just, like, I giggle. They're just, it's well-crafted dialogue. What about you? Um, both of my quotes this week we did already go through, um, but I do want to kind of circle back on one of them. The first one is the, you know, what are we going to do? Stay behind me, Susan. He clenches. I clench my teeth. I guess I'm going to do the right thing. Uh, just such a good line. I love just that. Just so good. And it's, you know, especially because of, the tombstone but even without the tombstone it's just great mm -hmm. um and then and it's so hairy and the other one because I, I did want to kind of spend at least 30 seconds kind of having a conversation about this where um damn it i swore earning a glare from michael damn it damn it damn it damn it all women for that matter that earned me a glare from susan <laughs> <laughs> he's a vampire justine he's eating you why should you care if something happens to him he's also a person mr dresden justine said a person who's never done you any harm. Why shouldn't you care what happens to him? Good point. And just that conversation of, you know, what makes a monster a monster? Mm -hmm. Is it being a monster or is it doing monstrous, monstrous things? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we don't know how white court vampires become white court vampires at this point. We don't know quite frankly, how any of them become, although you can certainly make some assumptions about the Black Court because they reference Bram Stoker's Dracula, and if Dracu that novel is accurate at all, um, you know, we can take some of that, certainly with a grain of salt, but we really don't know how red or white court vampires are made. So, mm -hmm. is, is Thomas a monster? I, I, you know, I mean, that's certainly not for me to say, but it's, it's an interesting question that uh, yeah. Justine brings up. And I, I, I like the idea. And certainly, you know, in, in this type of story, you're going to have those kinds of tropes. You know, again, thinking of Buffy and the vampires, the good vampires and the bad, you know, the, the good werewolves and the good whatever. You get that in mm -hmm. a lot of these types of stories. You'll get somebody who doesn't fit the mold of the prototypical bad guy. And so uh -huh. they'll be helping out the good guys, even if they may have ulterior motives or whatever. So it, this series obviously isn't immune to that. We're going to have some questionable allies as we get mm -hmm. through this um otherwise what's what's life all about you can't ask some questionable allies here and there um but it's just it's a really good concise way and i love that justine's the one who brings it up because again she she really doesn't seem to have that much agency here she's just there as thomas's date but mm -hmm. she is the one who initiates the um allyship what's the when they're on the same team She's the one who initiates the relationship as far as putting them on, you know, yeah. working together to escape. She's the one who, you know, it's, it seems as we go later, she's almost using Thomas for his, his abilities. Um, yeah. 
she's the one who you know is explaining some of what's going on to Harrier. She just really does have a lot more agency than at face value. Yes. And this line right here, I just think is a really important, really powerful thought about this type of literature. What makes a monster a monster? Like, are you going to kill someone just because of who they are? Or are you going to, mm. you know, treat someone, you know, as for what they've done and what, what kind of person they actually show that they've, they want to be. I just think that's an interesting thought experiment as much as anything else. And I also like is that she's the one who presents it. Yes, exactly. It, it wouldn't be nearly as powerful if Thomas had said this exact same thing because mm-hmm. that, you know, we, although we don't know how much she's being used and how much under his thrall she is certainly, but mm-hmm. it just, again, it just, it, it asks some really intriguing questions. And I really like that quote for that reason. Yeah, I, I agree. But I like the questions that, it, that it's, it's, it's having us ask. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned offline, you don't really have a, a really specific crackpot theory. You want to take a stab at what uh, we think's happening here with Susan or? I mean, that was, I think, I think uh, Susan's transformation here is it's going to be even more important. This isn't necessarily crackpot theory, but just sort of a prediction on my part. It's going to be even more important to have Thomas in the group because he can help her. He can help her more than any of the rest of them can. Okay. So what do you think she's transforming into? A vampire? I know. <laughs> well, a red court vampire, but okay. what do you mean? No, no, that's just, that's, I just wanted that. I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. That's all I really could tell. I mean, because Justine says that the red court vampires did it to her. and um, Yeah. But I think it's interesting because we've, we've already seen a different kind of vampire in, in Thomas. Uh, we've seen three different kinds of vampires. We've got Bianca, we've got Mavra, and we've got uh, Thomas. And they're, they're all very different. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which makes sense. Okay, with, with the different courts, they're basically different species. Um, yeah, that's what I... They just all are species that share matter. some sort of... Um, they share prey, basically. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, good stuff. Um, beyond that, then, um, any last parting thoughts here? You want to wrap it up? Uh, you know, I'm kind of curious to see where we head with all of this pretty exciting that was 32 was your last chapter 34 oh okay so we got one last chunk here okay so 35 to 39 absolutely we're gonna finish up grave peril next week which is very exciting and we'll yes. see where we end up. We got some uh, pieces and some interesting predicaments, certainly. I mean, how does Harry get out of it? How does Justine get out of it? How does Susan get out of it or do any of them? We also still had Michael and Thomas in the fight of their lives back in um, the Never Never. So we're, uh, and where's Bob? Where's Bob? Uh, where is Bob? There's a whole lot going on here. Please and thank you. <laughs> so it's going to be a great conclusion. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, Walker Must through that one. What do you got? Next week, we're going to be in the same place to record. Live, in person. Woo-hoo, I'm going home for Easter, so we're going to try and do a uh, live in person episode. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> sure to be a disaster, I'm sure. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. But it's exciting nonetheless. Awesome. All right, Ice. Well, thanks so much. Thank you guys for listening. Keep it coming. 
Yeah, the uh, podcast is on fire at gmail.com. All the good stuffs. I uh, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. We will see you next week with the finale of Grave Peril. Looking forward to it. Thank you guys so much. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. Podcast is on fire. And it wasn't my fault. I was at the, so I was at the hockey game last night and, um, oh, yeah. How was that? saw my first Hattie in person. It was fun. It was a lot of, we had a lot of, we had amazing seats. Like we were in section 101, which was right behind the benches. Um, we were in row 24, so we were high enough up where we could see everything and we had aisle seats. It was great. Nice. Um, but the kid next to me was an Avs fan. He's, he lives here, but he and his family are from Denver and his dad was there from Denver and. We were joking around about like the, you know, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. And he's like, like the Catholic church. I was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> like my mom says that. He's like, my dad's always said that. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. It was an entertaining, uh, it was an entertaining night. But it was fun. First time I've ever seen Hattie, like I said, and they, uh, bad guys lost. So.